It's 5 o'clock in pirate country, and it's time to get pumped up with the P-Man. Hit the door and hit the road. 94.3 The Game is going to get you home, and the P-Man's not holding back. Yes! Yes! Pirates win! Pirates win! Bring on the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. Holy mackerel! flagship station of the ECU Pirates. Hey everybody, welcome. It is uh, nice to have you with us. Patrick Johnson here on this uh, Monday, Martin Luther King holiday. And uh, we have uh, the Patrick Johnson show for you uh, today. We're in studio headed in a little bit across town to the uh, tiebreakers locale for inside pirate athletics with coach Mike Swartz, ECU coming off a uh, loss to uh, SMU on Saturday at home, 75-64. So uh, we're going to go through all of that in just a little bit. We've got NFL football going on uh, this afternoon as they move the game from uh, yesterday to uh, today in Buffalo because of the... Was it because of all the snow? Philip the Rep Pilkington producing the show uh, here today. I know you're not uh, staff meteorologist Joe Sampson, Joey Weather, but was this because of all the snow that was falling, I, I suppose... We're supposed to be falling during the time of the game yesterday? Yeah, from the way I understood it from the league is that it wasn't only the snow but the wind. They were worried about the fans who had paid their hard-earned money to get into the game not being able to get there because a lot of people were complaining, hey, the KC game didn't get moved. It was going to be sub, you know, negative 20 wind chill, but they said that people were able to safely get to that game. They were just saying the roads were so bad. It was so windy you couldn't see to the drive. So that, was, yeah. that was a big reason. Did you see Andy Reid's uh, mustache had uh, like uh, icicles handed for, uh, hanging from it? I did. I did. That was, that was interesting. It was a little disturbing, Yeah, actually. Um, I guess it was just from his breath, the condensation. I guess that's what that was. A little bit of that, a little bit of a runny nose with it being that cold. I'm sure, yeah. Combination you, of what was it? My, negative what there, Pilkington? What uh, was it? I think the temperature was like negative seven game, the wind chill like negative 25. That's crazy. And I guess tonight in Iowa where they're doing the first uh, vote in the presidential race, it's like zero degrees, negative 20 with the wind. That's brutal. Yeah. That is brutal. It does not make you think of outdoor activities such as water skiing. And we have a world champion. How about that uh, seamless transition? We have uh, world champion Christy Overton Johnson in the studio with us uh, today. So she'll be with this next segment. Uh, Christy does this remarkable uh, ministry work and goes to prisons. Um, and so she's about to embark on that. Uh, so we're going to talk with her about that and uh, just uh, everything with her whole career. Very excited about that coming up. Uh, Pilk will have an update on the score of these uh, games, plus a preview of the game tonight. Uh, what happened to the Cowboys is the big question today, Pilk, because it was one of those things I flipped it on as I'm often to do on Sundays during the NFL. I, I, I get later in the day Sunday when everything's sort of done, and I'm going to start to unwind and that starts with the four o'clock nfl football game like the second half i flip it by and it's blowout city 28 nothing or 27 nothing is what i i saw so what happened there but i know you as a as a true nerd was what we're watching the whole thing yeah of course um <laughs> <laughs> no so it just you know Green Bay got the ball first marched down the field scored and it seemed like once they got that first stop and then we're able to get it to a two-score game. The win was just taken out of Dallas's sails, especially on the offensive end. And when the win was taken out of the sails offensively and they were not productive, 
the defense just kept getting sent back out onto the field repetitively, and they had no time to catch their breath, no time to relax, and what had been an already successful Green Bay Packers offense continued to be a successful Green Bay Packers offense and throwing the ball down the field particularly. Because I worked uh, Saturday, the basketball game, I did not see uh, that game. But Houston rolled. What happened there? Well, you were at the game, so you probably didn't see very much of that. So what happened, Pilk? I know you've, you've surfed the World Wide Web on that. Yeah, I was I was at the basketball game, but from keeping up with it, it, it was a stereotypical 2023 Houston Texans football game. It was a lot of explosion plays. Their drives were short in time, but long in length. And when that happened and they got up by two scores, Joe Flacco started forcing the ball into tough situations. He threw two pick sixes in a matter of four plays. And then when that happened, that was midway through the third quarter. The game was undoubtedly over after that time. But really, yeah, kudos to Houston Texans doing what they do best, uh, scoring on explosions in place. We'll see if they're able to do that next week as they will. We're not sure who they're going to play yet, but it's going to be a much more superior opponent than to the Cleveland Browns. And I guess the game last night was exciting. It came down to Detroit holding on for the win. And uh, good for them. I have relatives that are from Michigan. They just moved to Florida. And they're very excited about uh, Detroit in the playoffs getting their first win in uh, more than uh, three decades. All right. Uh, basketball. ECU loses uh, to SMU. They got down by as many as 18 in the game. And uh, wound up getting uh, dropped by 11, 75-64. Let's do our Pirate Report. And now, Patrick Johnson with today's Pirate Report on the flagship station of the ECU Pirates, 94.3 The Game. Let's start with the second cut, Pilk. And this is so much, so much, because uh, Swartz praised uh, SMU, and rightfully so. I thought SMU, uh, they looked to me like the third best team, in the like a top three team in the conference. They had the athletes. Uh, they looked like a team that... Uh, would compete for the conference championship and play at the top of the league. They've got uh, the length. They've got uh, some timely shooting. They've got some players that uh, can make some shots, but they also have more than anything uh, a great defense, and they made it really, really difficult for East Carolina on Saturday. Uh, but this is what Coach Swartz thought in the aftermath the Pirates did not do correctly. On a night where we don't shoot the ball well, obviously and two for 17 from three and shoot under 40 percent and you give them a lot of credit for that that's an elite defensive team uh, you definitely can't give up nine offensive rebounds in the first half and uh, you know I thought that it was a huge key in the game nine offensive rebounds in the first half allows them to feel like they can play their game which they did uh, by crashing the glass so hard. It, it kind of equates to a really good shooting half for them in the second half. And we're playing, obviously, uphill. And then the turnovers in the first half, you know, versus Tulsa, we have nine turnovers. Temple, we have 10. And then we have seven in the first half alone uh, versus, you know, th this afternoon. And I thought those two things, the turnovers in the first half, and the offensive rebounds uh, that we gave up. I mean, they shoot 40% in the first half. If we're able to secure some of those first shot misses, I think, you know, potentially it feels different at halftime at least. Uh, but being down nine at halftime and them feeling like they could play SMU basketball, I thought was uh, ended up being the, a big part of this game. And the way that uh, SMU shot the threes, Coach uh, Swartz thought was a big, uh, big point in this game. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, obviously we went to changing defenses up in the second half because they're 
they're scoring the basketball. I mean, their guys are making shots. I mean, there's 21 point difference behind from the three point line. I mean, they make nine, we make two, and uh, th that's a huge number. I mean, 21 point difference from the three point line. So uh, we start changing defenses up. We go zone. We get a few stops in zone. Uh, I thought Williamson was really dynamic, catching that ball in the high post late versus man and zone finishing. You know, on those short drives. Uh, you know, I give him a lot of credit, but. You know, they, they, all, they made their threes. Uh, they did. You know, I think they go, what, nine for 20, nine for 26. And, and you know, Zurich makes two. And, and Chuck Harris makes two. And they got guys coming off the bench that make shots. And so that difference of, you know, we don't shoot the ball well. And like you said, that they get score on the offensive glass in the first half makes it a really tough combo versus a very, very good team uh, to overcome. And the other thing that uh, I think really hampered ECU was uh, they, they didn't get a great performance. And a lot of this was because of the way SMU defended them. R.J. Felton ended up getting points, but he had to really, really work tremendously hard to get them. Uh, he wound up with uh, 15 points, but was just 5 of 19 shooting. He and Brandon Johnson were 0 for 10 shooting threes. And, and Johnson managed just five points. And Coach says when you get the conference play, your, your top players have to play well in order to win. Yeah, you know, I think to win any team in conference, uh, any game, home or road, you need your, you need your, your big three to step up, uh, so to speak. I mean, that, and, you know, it's been the first game probably that Brandon and RJ have, not the first game that either of them have struggled, but probably both of them together, uh, definitely in conference play, that have struggled. And, um, you know, but... It's a credit to those guys. It's a credit to SMU because they're a great defensive team. This is a top 10 defensive team in the country. But it's also it's a credit to RJ and Brandon. They're going to have a target on their back every game. It'll be no different next game. It'll be no different on February. It'll be no different in March. Ezra Azar had uh, 25 points and eight rebounds at 25, a career high for the sophomore from Atlanta. I thought Ezra in the second half really bought into, Ezra, we need you to play in that paint. Um and that's honestly we talked about it at halftime and that's the truth he bought in he said you know I got to do this I got to do this for this team I got to do this for myself and you see how effective he can be in there and it, it, it is nothing to do with his skill that he does have on the perimeter which he does but this team needs someone to create gravity and the gravity he created is real if we can make shots I mean that's real if we start hitting a couple threes, some of those times that he's rolling down the lane, he's going to get more of those. They're not going to have four people around him when he's trying to finish if we're sticking shots from behind the arc, and it just didn't happen tonight. The other thing, um, well, I'll get to this. Well, I'll say it now that it's popped into my, my little brain. Um, SMU had a week to get ready for this. They didn't have a midweek game like ECU did. ECU had to leave, of course, Monday to go to Philadelphia. I mean, it's just kind of the way the schedule broke. I know Rob Lanier was lamenting the fact that they uh, didn't have that kind of regular flow or routine, but, um, you know, it gave them some extra time to work on things, and they had a really good game plan for ECU. All right, uh, for R.J. Felton, he talked about that game plan and how well, um, how well SMU played. Kudos to um, SMU. Uh, they had shot the ball really well. They had us, um, they had us in many rotations, and they hit the shots at the, um, at the big times, and and um, they had plenty of offensive rebounds, which led to um, which led to second chance points. So so we had to um, so we had to um, we couldn't we couldn't we didn't really answer the tone right then and there. 
And then a couple from Ezra Azar here. He talked about the aggressiveness uh, that he played with helping him have a big scoring night. I believe I was uh, aggressive. Um, you know, I'm always say I can do more to be the best me. Um, on that topic, I really don't, you know, got any excuses. You just got to take that one to the chin. And then uh, what do you think's cost the Pirates the game? I feel like second half was, you know, they, you know, biggest. Uh, I feel like what kind of hurt us <clears throat> was when they had hit them two or three back-to-back threes when we had lost our man on defense. Uh, for me, I just think that comes with IQ and just a lack of communication. Uh, I feel like that's what hurt us in the game as far as momentum. Uh, I feel like we was, you know, on the way to a comeback because I believed in this. But those two, two, three threes hurt us, I believe. We'll hear more from Coach Swartz coming up at 6 o'clock on Inside Pirate Athletics with Mike Swartz from Tiebreakers. Pirates will be back in action Wednesday as they take on North Texas at home at 7 o'clock. Stay tuned. Continue on here on the PJ Show. Christy Overton Johnson in the studio when we come back. You ready for this? Oh, I'm very ready. Okay, ready? You ready? Streaming to the world at 943thegame.com. This is the Patrick Johnson Show. Now in all his glory, here's the P-Man. If you go to kojministries.org, you'll learn more about Christy Overton Johnson Ministries and uh, all the great work that she is doing. She joins us uh, here in our studio today. For the first time uh, in studio with us. I know she's been on with uh, Henry before. We've had her as a guest previously, um, but uh, it's awesome to have you here in person. I'm a big admirer of yours. Well, thank you. And vice so versa. thank you for coming on uh, here with us. So this is uh, this is pretty amazing. Um, for those that don't know, let's start okay. with the sports side of this. Okay. You uh, for basically 30 years, maybe more. 35 years, I guess. You were a world-class, world champion water skier. Skied a long time. Yeah. A long time. I started when I was four years old, competing at five, and traveled all over the world. By 10, had turned, um, had gone into the uh, open division. Mm -hmm. So, at 10 years old, was competing against 20 and 30 years old, 30-year-olds. And then at 13, turned pro, and it just went on from there. And I just had a wonderful career and it was something that our whole family did together if you know much about our family background Mm -hmm. my dad was a water skier i just loved to be hot dogging it on the pamlico river and one day he saw this guy this guy go by and he did more tricks than my dad could do and he chased him down in his jet boat and he's like what was all that you were doing because my dad thought he was the king of the pamlico river And he saw a whole side of the sport that he had always loved that didn't even know existed. And it was funny because this guy had this um, Mastercraft boat that had all these stars down the side. And Dad said it was the ugliest boat he'd ever seen. (laughs) Never have one of those ski boats because he was going to have a jet boat. Right. Right after that, we had a ski boat for the rest (laughs) of our life. (laughs) Uh, And and that's part of the family business, Overton's. Yes. And and he sold it. It's it's been a long time. Right. But that's that's kind of one of the specialty areas once the family business took that turn. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so our careers were really parallel because he saw a need in the water sports community Mm -hmm. for people to have skis and vests because he couldn't get them either. So he started buying a couple extra and carry them through the tournaments. And I can still remember these uh, men lined up at dad, the back of dad's Cadillac (laughs) buying skis and vests and things like that. And so... 
you know that whole that old saying you, you see a need you feel it yeah and um, that's what he did and we were really blessed and actually the last day that i did an exhibition um one of the last days i came off the water got the call and and dad had sold the business that day and uh, so our career started and ended really at the same time what's wild is if you think about it because i mean the, the the rivers here and the lake it's just so much recreation mm-hmm. but it's kind of crazy that it would be it would have been hard to find water skis and, and things of the sort yeah well you you could get them but you you know I don't even took know. Some doing. Kmart. It took some doing, and <laughs> yeah. you could only buy them from the manufacturer, ah. and so it was really difficult to get. And so that's when he started the Melloder. First, uh, his first catalog yeah. was um, water skis at supermarket prices because we all know right, Britain's the supermarket, uh, supermarket yeah. on awesome. Jarvis Street. Oh, that's great. Uh, Christy Overton Johnson is is with us here. Obviously, you liked it because it was a family activity, mm-hmm. but at what point? Did it click with you that you wanted to be? Immediately. Really? Yeah. It, it was never about me being a world champion. It was about me being the best that I could be. And that was something my dad, he was, mom was my coach and driver. And my brother, Michael, drove for many, many years. But my dad, um, early on, was this, he was an innovator and this coach and then he had to go work all the time so mm-hmm. we could afford the sport. Right. But he always was the motivator and the encourager. And so the thing that he would always say to me is, you don't worry about beating those other girls. You go be the best that you can be. And so that's what I did. And in the sport, there was always one more foot to go and jump, one more trick to learn, and one more buoy to go around on the slalom course. Mm-hmm. So. I was very self-motivated. It was never about me beating somebody. It was just always about me getting one more. And that's what motivated me. And it, it, I think Dad knew that I had an incredible gift and that if I just did the best I could, that I'd end up on top, and, and I did. It would seem that, well, it would seem, you, you have to be a great athlete to do this, especially at the level at which you performed and, and uh, competed. Did you have any interest in any other sports growing up or team sports or, or I anything? I played some basketball. Um, I was never really good at shooting because I didn't want to miss in front of people. But man, <laughs> would I foul out every game because I gave everything. I was very aggressive. <laughs> but yeah, I was always skiing. And yeah. it's funny because my sink, my sophomore year at Rose High School, I was trying to um, run laps to do be on the soccer team. Okay, and it was interfering with my skiing and stuff. But I developed tremendous hip pain, and I would go on because of soccer and all the running to realize that I had a congenital hip disorder, oh. and I could never run. And so it was really interesting. Once I got in my teens, that became very uh, a lot of pain. And water skiing was really the only sport that I could do. And I ended up having to have my whole pelvis reconstructed oh, in gracious. my early 30s. And yeah. that's when I retired. I did come back for like two years at um, 2007 to 2009. But it was more to bring awareness mm-hmm. to the ministries. Around the world, you've, you've competed? Oh, yeah. Literally, obviously, yeah, you're a world probably, champion. So, yeah, ten to fifteen different countries. What's the what's countries. kind of the craziest place that you competed? Oh, that you wouldn't think would be a mecca for Russia. Okay, um, 
Australia, Austria, uh, I skied at the River Kwai in Bangkok. Oh, yeah. wow. Just stayed on riverboats while the U.S. team trained in uh, Bangkok for the Singapore World Championships. And back then, with the tours, we were on hot summer nights on the ESPN. Mm-hmm. And so... Our tours were right before the, or either right after the beach volleyball, beach volleyball, and so we were just in tremendous venues. And I skied during the best years of our sport, and mm. there was, you know, I got paid to do what I did. Mm-hmm. I, I had sponsors, great sponsors, and went down to ended up at the University of Central Florida. I know that's not a good name around here, <laughs> but I had a water ski scholarship, and okay. that's why I left in 1988. And I've just come back in 2020 and right. said I left an 18-year-old little girl and came back a 50-some-year-old woman. Yeah, and a <laughs> so, mom. And a mom of four, and my husband and I have been together 34 years, so. Did it take twisting his arm to get him to come back? You no, know, he told me years, years back when we first got married, not that he didn't like Greenville, he just doesn't like cold weather. So he had told me, Christy, will never live there. Mm-hmm. So I had, you know, Quit pouting years, decades <laughs> right. before, and and while I was skiing, I mean that's where I needed to be because mm-hmm. I needed to train year round. Right. The best coaches in the world were down there. I trained with the best, and to be the best, you got to be around the best. Mm-hmm. And so once I quit skiing, then retired, or my body quit on me, then it was like okay, I could go back home now. Right. But it just, we, by then, we're so content where we were. Right. And at the beginning of 2020, my husband came to me. He goes, I think you need to sit down. And I was like, is our marriage okay or what? And he's like, no, we're good. I just feel like I'm supposed to take you home. And I didn't wow. have to pray about that one because I was like, that's a miracle right there. <laughs> so we actually put our house up for sale. I came up here. I was just telling you to mm-hmm. look at some property and the world shut down. In March 2020. Gracious. And so he's like, let's hunker down at Lake Christie. I'm like, that's a pretty good place to be quarantined. Right. Are the kids into the water skiing or the water sports? My, They never enjoyed it. My my growing up, Ty was really, he's my oldest. He's 26. Okay. He, oh, gosh. I didn't realize they were there. Oh, they're all out of the house. Oh, yeah. So Ty lives in Arizona. He's already finished oh, with I'm his master's. I'm thinking these are little tykes running around the house. Oh, no. They're 26, 23, 21, 21. So, yeah, Tim and I are empty nesters again. But they, when Ty went off to ASU, that's when he decided he was going to join the ski team. Okay. And he had a background in skiing, but he had never competed. And mm-hmm. it was like a fight to get any of my kids out there. Right. Dalton and Ivy, we adopted after I had retired. Okay. I retired and had my pelvis reconstructed all at the same time that I adopted them. And so they never experienced, they knew mama was a skier. Right. They would go to tournaments and they would, you know, see all the the events and they knew the people but they never saw me compete mm-hmm. and so is there any of this on youtube they can go and see oh yeah okay yeah you type in christy overton Johnson there it is on youtube oh there's lots of videos yeah. and there's a really good one there's uh i think it's the hall of fame uh-huh. video and yeah. one called this is my story and it's got a lot of the highlights and okay. shows a lot of the pro runs that's very and cool yeah and that'll explain why I couldn't remember things a while ago. I said I've had a lot of hits today. 
again. <laughs> I guess you, that's part of it, isn't it? Is a lot concussions? of concussions, yeah. a lot of hits, a lot of falls. And does it still? I mean, do you have some, as you say, like I guess just you you joke yes, about it. Some but just, think some days are better than others, yeah. and and you know, I just God gets me through every day to do what I do, and uh, I really have to take care of myself though physically gotcha. because if I don't eat right or if I do too much, I my health can suffer. Also had Lyme disease and other things, oh, wow. being all at these lakes and yeah. ticks and all that kind of stuff and chronic illnesses. So a lot of it just ended up being stress. You know, you right. put your body, You listening to you earlier, you're talking about the basketball games, but the, especially the football games and the extreme weather that they were playing in. And I, it made me think back to all the times that we'd go out in the water and it's so cold. Right. So cold and how bad your body hurts. And then when you're you're getting those hits and your muscles are so tight, you're stretching muscles, tearing muscles. And, um, you know, you'd look in the boat and mom be sitting there with things on her head and big ski jackets. And I've got Vaseline on my face. So it didn't I didn't get an ice cream headache and my face freeze. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. There's just a lot of sacrifices athletes make. I want to ask you one more thing about this. And then uh, if we can get a break and then talk about okay. what you have coming up. So Pilk, stand by for your update here. Um, you, ha- you talk about sacrifices. In order to be great, you have to say no to a lot of things, say mm-hmm. no to a lot of people. Was that difficult on any level? Yeah, it was lonely sometimes, but um, the the water ski community was so amazing. So you've got to say no to some things, a lot of things. The summers, you know, during, it's not like, what well, was me. I, I wouldn't trade it for right, anything. Yeah. But because when other kids career. were playing, yeah. you were skiing. Right. Um, when other people were by the fireplace, you were out skiing yeah. and things like that. But you also had to say yes to things that a lot of people don't want to say yes to. Right. You had to say no to things. But you had to say yes to getting in the gym, to, right. to moving away from a lake that's been built after you, just right. in a community that you loved and, and things like that. It's just sacrifices. But they, they say, what is it, 10,000 hours mm-hmm. to go from it, – it's so much time, but so much of it's mental too. Mm-hmm. And you can have all the talent in the world, but if your mind is – all over the place and and so you know I was really grateful that I had an ability to get really focused right. where I was and cut out the distractions. What was the average training day? So a lot of people think you go out and ski for hours and hours and hours <laughs> but it's more like water skiing at least the kind that I did there's all different types uh, was more like sprinting uh-huh. so when you would do the slalom event it takes you 16.95 seconds to go through the course but your heart rate's going from like 90 to 180 in 16 point, you know, mm-hmm. off, around every buoy, you go from 20 mile an hour, 70 mile an hour, 20 Ooh. to 70. And so you, I would do maybe eight to 10 runs at 16.95 seconds and 30 seconds rest. So you're looking at, I can't do the math, three to five yeah. minutes. And I would do two to three of those a day uh-huh. sets. If you did trick, I would be out there for maybe 20 to 30 minutes in a trick set and then maybe five times over the ramp. So I would ski five sets and sometimes it was two slums, two tricks and a jump. So oh gosh. it doesn't, it, it took all day to do it because you had to have your training partners go. You also had to have ample time for your body to rest. And you got to eat right. You got to go to the gym because yeah. you can see my shoulders are like this because I skied so long it's like no matter how bad i want good posture it doesn't happen so you were always we were super strong in our backs 
um, especially back then. Everything's changed now with with the boats are now this cruise control and all these different ropes and skis are they're they're made out of different materials and everything reacts differently. Mm-hmm. Where if you look back to all of the women and men back in my era, it huge arms, very big. Mm-hmm. Now everybody's really lean and lanky. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting because you don't want to pull too hard against the boat or right. that boat's going to, it's cruise control and it goes against whatever you do. Right. So you just kind of hide behind That's it. That's interesting. Yeah, it's a lot changed. That's why I, I couldn't come back out because it feels like I've never skied before when I get behind this new stuff. All right, we're going to take a break. Pilk, do your update and uh, we'll come back. Uh, Christy has, uh, we'll, we'll tell you about her ministry and how all that got started and she's got a remarkable uh, thing that she's doing next week. So we'll hear all about that uh, right after this. Here's Pilk. Thanks, P-Man. Starting in Pirate Athletics, it was a rough weekend for the basketball teams as the men fell 75-64 to SMU, and then the women fell 81-55 to Tulane. After the men's game, Coach Schwartz praised the job the Mustangs did. I, I said it before the game, and I'll, I'll say it after, and I, I feel the same. I think that SMU team is as good a team as we've seen all season. Uh, just a lot of respect for their program. Their players, their coaching staff, uh, Coach Lanier, obviously, I just think that they have a really good ball club, and and, uh, they came in and they beat us tonight, uh, without a doubt. Both teams will be back in action on Wednesday. The women will host Rice at 11 a.m. You can hear that right here on 94.3 The Game. And then the men's team will be in action on Wednesday night, 7 o'clock tip, 6.30 airtime. You can also hear that here on 94.3 The Game as part of the ECU Sports Network as well as all of our affiliates, including our sister station, 107.9. The Pirate football team landed a pair of transfers over the weekend. Defensive lineman Jaden McKenzie from Ohio State and defensive back Gavin Gibson from Maryland. The Panthers are conducting GM interviews today. They will speak to Chiefs VP of Football Operations, Brent Tillis, as well as Ravens VP of Football Administration, Nick Matio. Michigan head coach Jim Harbaugh will interview with the Chargers today as they fired Brandon Staley midway through the season. Yesterday at the Sony Open, Grayson Murray defeated Ben Ahn and Keegan Bradley in a three-way playoff by hitting a 40-foot birdie putt. This was his first tour win since 2017. That'll do it for your 94.3 The Game Sports Flash update and Pirate Report on the other side of this timeout. We have more with Christy Overton-Johnson as she tells us about her ministry. Sometimes you just don't know if you want to kiss him or slap him. Ow! Either way, he'd probably like it. The Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. All right, Christy Overton Johnson is in the uh, studio with us here. So Christy Overton Overton Johnson Ministries. Right. You started this... And, and came back as a way to, to promote the ministries or shed some light on the ministries. So when did this all start? And, and kind of tell everybody what it is that, that mm-hmm. you all do specifically. Yeah, so in 2003, at the very end of my water ski career, started a nonprofit called In His Wakes. And that we we use uh, water sports as a way to really help kids overcome trauma and fear and also tell them about a loving God that can propel them through life and help them. And I was with that organization for a decade. But Mm -hmm. towards the end of that, I um, felt led to start another ministry called Christy Irvin Johnson Ministries. And that's that's the overall 
um, umbrella. And under that started a Victorious Living um, magazine, Victorious Living Prison Outreach. Mm -hmm. And all of that stemmed from visiting an incarcerated friend. I'd never thought about people Mm -hmm. who were in prison, never crossed my mind, never hit our family. And this guy was a professional boat driver. And when he went away to prison... I, like the rest of the sport, just completely forgot about Bill. Mm -hmm. And seven years went by, he had a 15-year sentence, and he reached out to me. And something just started stirring in my heart to go visit him, and I asked permission for my husband to go visit another man in prison, (laughs) and and he said yes, because he he knew the bigger picture. And so I went to visit Bill, and when I was in there, it was like my whole world changed. I, I can't even explain it other than I saw something I'd never seen. For years, since I was 15 years old, I'd been speaking um, different platforms, Mm -hmm. uh, churches and corporations. So like when we would travel all over to Singapore, France and different places, I would actually have the opportunity to speak in churches. Okay. And, you know, back then my my faith, I believe, but it just, I really wasn't having a deep relationship with God and thinking about him. I was thinking more about myself and skiing and trophies and people pleasing and all this kind of stuff. And so when I went into that prison and I visited my friend, I realized that the, the ability to encourage people, um, which is a gift I think God gave me, that it was to be used there and to help people get up. Because that's something I'm really good at, is getting up. Right. And that's the thing. People look at all your accolades and skiing, but what they don't realize is behind every one of those victories is a thousand defeats. And I fell every single day in the 35 years that I competed, but in the midst of falls and failures, I became a world champion. And it wasn't because I was perfect. It was because I kept saying, hit it to the boat driver instead of I quit it. Right. And I knew in that moment that God was wanting me to take that hit it message to people who were down. Some had been knocked down. Some had knocked themselves down with bad choices. Um, but for whatever reason, I knew that was what I was supposed to do. All I did was say, God, I'll go. And, and I didn't tell anybody because I didn't even know how to do this. Mm-hmm. I knew water sports ministry. I did not know prison. And so the next week, out of the blue, the Department of Corrections in Florida calls me, and they had gotten this magazine Mm -hmm. that I had been publishing for a little while. And they're like, we just got a hold of this magazine. I still don't know who sent it to them, how they got it. And they're like, we want this in every prison in the state of Florida. And now this magazine is in prisons all over the United States. It's even gone international. Mm -hmm. And God is using this magazine to save lives. And I, I'm, I mean, literally saving lives here on earth. You know, we get testimonies, people that had a noose around their neck and look down in their, in their mattress and find even a sheet of this magazine and the story would impact them because it's just people's story. It's hope. Right. And so the magazine went all over. People started writing. We started a mentorship. And we actually run that out of here now, out of um, oh, Greenville. Yeah. We have a group of people who meet at, at Unity Church that come by our office over at the nonprofit center mm-hmm. and respond to the thousands and thousands of letters we get each year. We're also on prison tablets. So I kind of look at the camera right now. <laughs> I look at the camera and we do trauma-informed care. Uh-huh. We do um, biblical studies and, and Bible studies and helping people get up and move forward, give them those life skill tools. And 
it's just amazing because through those broadcasts on prison tablets, over 2 million views last year Oh wow! in prison. And so we're having this opportunity to reach millions of people annually in a way I never dreamed. We help people with reentry. Um, we go to prison events. I'm, I'm leaving Saturday. Well, yeah, we're going to talk about that in a second. Yeah. You're, you're, so you're, you're going to, over a handful of days, mm-hmm. I think it was five federal prisons, a couple state prisons, there's some other mm-hmm. uh, things you're doing sprinkled in there as well. Right. That has to be, I guess it's old hat by now, but to me it would be daunting to go into a prison. When you know that you're where you're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. It's, it's different than if you put yourself somewhere and you're walking in blind and you're walking in like, oh, I'm just going to go do this thing. No, mm-hmm. it's me walking in humbly saying, okay, God, I know you put me here. Help me or I'm going to die. <laughs> you know, right. it's like yeah. my, I had an incredible mentor right after I got into prison ministry. One of my mentor was Jack Murph the Surf. Murphy, Jack mm-hmm. Murphy, and he's known by Murphy Surf. He pulled off the largest jewel heist in American history. They have documentaries that Ron Howard just did on his life, mm-hmm. and he passed away during the COVID um, twenty twenty. But Jack, I I would ride with Jack like literally up and down the highway, and he taught me everything I I learned. And he was probably the godfather of prison ministry. And one thing he told me he says, never be afraid, but mm-hmm. never forget where you are. And so, you know, we're wise when we go in, but the thing is, the people there are so happy that I'm there. There's like a standing ovation. I'm not kidding when you mm. walk in, because they've been reading the magazine, mm-hmm. and they've been writing for over a decade to our correspondents, and they're in tears because they're finally meeting, like, the team that's putting this life preserver in their hands. Right. And get it talking to them. Um, it can be scary if you think about it too much. It's like, okay, who's who's like falling asleep with the tablet <laughs> listening to me? But I'm telling you, the letters we get, 99.9% of them are the most heartfelt letters. And occasionally you get some scary ones sure. or whatever. But hey, that's that's you can get that that's in the world, normal though. life, yeah. this world. Yeah. So I love it. I, I know when I step into that place Saturday when I'm in, in Marion Correctional and then again in Coleman next week. And like I told you, I'll head to Arizona and Arkansas mm-hmm. um, a couple weeks later. I know I'm doing what I'm supposed to do and I see the impact. And a lot of people say, oh, people just get in jailhouse religion. They're just trying to pass the time or, um, you know, get out mm-hmm. or whatever. But I, I, the people that are on our team even working, I have 50 to 60 years of incarcerated incarceration on our team mm-hmm. that are on our paid staff. Mm. I have um, board members and another 30, 40 years of incarceration and drug addiction that are living the most victorious life. And it's it, all the programs were great and all of that, but there was one reason, and it was God transformed their life. And so... In this journey over the last decade, it's been over 10 years, I have seen Mott. I've learned a lot. I've been able to sit at the White House and be in prison reform meetings. Mm -hmm. I was just at the American Correctional Association, being able to hold workshops. Now we're expanding our ministry to the leaders and the wardens because people don't realize there's a crisis. Right, yeah. 
you're, you're, you know, you're incarcerating addiction and all these other things, but even the people working in the system, the correctional officers, the wardens, all of that, it's one of the, the highest divorce rates, PTSD rates, suicide rates, three a week, three officers oh a week really? commit suicide. Twelve officers a year die at the hands of an inmate, but three officers a week die at their own hands hmm. because of the traumas and um you know there's there's a lot there's a lot of awareness in the corrections world right now and i was just at the convention last week and we did a my co-worker and i did one on avoiding burnout and developing resiliency mm-hmm. using a lot of the things that i learned in water skiing but um you know you talk about it being martin luther king day and there was a quote that i read that dr king said and it says the day you stop talking about the things that matter is basically or grow silent about the things mm-hmm. that matter is the day your life ends <laughs> and that's one of the mottos i live by and that's why i am so vocal about my faith one because i know it saved me right and i know that this world doesn't just need more motivation it needs what is in me because I had everything this world said would make you happy. Mm. I had money. I mean, our our family has been financially blessed. I had a lake after my name that, right. you know, that I can just fame people, money, all those yeah. things, degrees, law degrees. And I was miserable. Oh, really? Very miserable. Very sick because of the stress and chronic illnesses. Um but very unhappy, a lot of self-hate, never felt good enough. Well, I was going to ask you, because it would be very easy because of means and success to just you know, throw some money at a at a charity or, yeah. and not live it. Right. This seems, uh, you know, not that it wouldn't be genuine, but I mean, it, it is truly from the heart. I mean, but it could have been very easily just, okay, we're going to give some money to something. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of people do ask me, like, yeah. what is your motivation? It's just, it's my love for God and it's my love for people. And too much is given, much is required. Mm-hmm. I don't want to sit here and cry on your show. <laughs> so I'm going to stop there. It's a happy there. time. It's a happy Chris, time. It's a happy time on so the show. So I love what I do. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> I'm sitting here looking at stuff. The game, the game. You got to get it in the game. <laughs> like, I don't want right. to live life on a dock. Yeah. I, I experienced victory on the water and pain, but victory and the relationships and all of that in the water ski career because I chose to get off a dock every day. Yeah. I choose to get off a spiritual dock with God. I choose to get off a dock of it's all about me and I'm going to move forward and I'm going to make life about other people. And what I found is when it's about other people, I don't, I don't notice all my ailments. Mm-hmm. I don't notice how I feel. I don't notice all my problems. I'm, I'm fixated and focused on him and others and that's where joy comes from is jesus others and then yourself right and but i'm learning to take care of myself so that i can do this for decades more we we have a, a few minutes so pilk we're gonna have the early three segment show here today so i'll have to hot foot it over to to uh to tiebreakers but that that's good because christy's been so uh, generous with her time here today and it's been a lot of fun uh talking to her this is, this is truly fascinating pudding. you all yeah uh, you just stay stand by you'll see you'll see me just <laughs> head out here in a moment uh like the roadrunner in the cartoon um sort of the and we could talk about this for another hour really um but 
it would seem like a receptive audience. Are there instances, though, where there are skeptics when you go into the prison? Not skeptics outside, but and you see someone who decides to go in that direction with their life. Right. I mean, yes. I mean, there's people mm-hmm. of all different faiths that are there. They know why they're there when I come. I mean, we have posters up right now that are telling people that I'm coming next mm-hmm. week. And so they come to the yard or they come to the, the program's room or the chapel knowing what they've come. But the curiosity, a lot of times, you know, one, a woman's coming mm-hmm. into a man's prison. Right. And also, like an athlete, they really play up, you know, world champions come and come right. meet an athlete. And there's a lot of respect from the men, no matter what their fate, just for the fact, one, you show up. Sure. That you would come visit. But two, because there's so many athletes there as well, mm-hmm. um, there's all different kinds of people in there. And, and you just, you meet so many people. And even the skeptics, though, there's usually a tear in their eye by right. the time we yeah. finish. Yeah. And um, people discover the hope. Yeah. What's the best way for people to find out more? I mean, we mentioned the website. I guess that's the best way to, to just learn more about yeah. the ministry. So you can go to KOJ Ministries. Uh, org, I think it mm-hmm. is. Yeah. But victoriouslivingmagazine.com mm-hmm. or vlmag.com. There's so many. Mm-hmm. Uh, victoriouslivingmagazine.com. That really shows a lot about the Victorious Living Magazine, the prison outreach and all of that. But you can get there either way. Um, you know, it's not everybody's desire to go into prison, but I do believe... There's other things you could do. There's other things you can do. Um but even, you know, you were talking about throwing money at it. I am thankful for the people that I'm going <laughs> to take a second because I'm telling yeah. you, this thing, we just went to press and we've got to raise 20 more thousand by, by Friday. Wow. And so. Well, I don't mean that to, Yeah, you know. no, you were saying that about me, but yeah. I am thankful for the ones who maybe don't feel called to go in, but we are all called to remember, mm-hmm. to remember like widows and orphans and those that are in prison. And it's important to, um, be a part of someone's life change and that will help your community Yeah, because the people who are serving you, the people who are changing your oil, the, you never know, but yeah, you really don't do you? Yeah. You just I never mean, the know guy that cuts on. my grass just told me that he used to watch me when he was in prison <laughs> on the, on the things. And I didn't yeah. know and he'd been cutting my grass for years. That? Yeah. So there's, um, you never know, but Making a difference in someone's life changes generations. We've got a, about a minute here before we, we get into the wrap-up. So, uh, well, you, you have some events around Eastern North Carolina, typically. in the mm-hmm. I guess some of those are planned in 24 mm-hmm. also. Yeah, and the end of September, I don't know the exact date, but we are going to have our Festival of Hope again. Okay. I've got to meet uh, with the Parks and Rec and, and make <laughs> right. sure that Don says yes. But we've had some good conversations. So, we had a wonderful event there last. Yeah, right. And... Uh, working on some some fun people we've had daryl strawberry before we had all sorts of um uh jugglers and things last time that was a real big hit so i'm trying to come up with something special that's amazing stuff boy what what, what, this is a tremendous story uh and just the whole thing uh enjoyed having you in here and uh, we'll have you in again i hope thanks and you can um subscribe to get this or you know i'm gonna leave some out front i don't know if you can have people in the lobby and yeah they're always at Young's Therapy in different places. Okay. We just drop them off. All around Different town. places. Yeah. yeah, they're they're free, but um, they aren't free to me. Right. 
<laughs> exactly. All right. Uh, we'll see you Wednesday, maybe. You're going to the basketball game? Oh, yeah. I'll be there. Okay. All right. Yep. I'm right down the road there at the courtside mm-hmm. with the TV. All right. Uh, we're going to say goodbye for now. I'm going to head over to uh, Inside ECU Pirate Athletics at Tiebreakers with Coach Schwartz. Thanks to Christy Overton Johnson. And we will uh, be back with you tomorrow uh, in the morning, 7 o'clock on Talk of the Town, and then back here at 5 on the Patrick Johnson Show. Thanks to Philip the Rep Pilkington as well. Great job, Pilk. All right. See everybody tomorrow. Thank you.